He's having a lot of success after selling his first company, Bitbyte, for 40 million bucks. Then in 2007, launched Owner IQ. They're now serving about 600 brands that are sharing or borrowing or you know buying somebody else's data every month on his platform. They've worked with about a thousand in total, but again, data is hot. They've raised about 40 million bucks, doing about 70 million top line gross uh, in terms of gross revenue, doing about half that. So healthy, healthy business. This is the Top Entrepreneurs Podcast, where founders share how they started their companies and got filthy rich or crash and burn. Each episode features revenue numbers, customer counts, and other insider information that creates business news headlines. We went from a couple hundred thousand dollars to 2.7 million. They had no money when they started the company. It was $160 million, which is the size of many IPOs. We're bootstrapped. We have like 22,000 customers. With over 5 million downloads in a very short amount of time, major outlets like Inc. are calling us the fastest growing business show on iTunes. I'm your host, Nathan Latka, and here's today's episode. Hello, everybody. My guest today is Jay Habiger. He's the co-founder and CEO of Owner IQ. He's a pioneer in digital media and advertising, having over 20 years of experience in the space. He's built the Q from its humble beginnings to teaching and leading the industry in second-party data and as the leading programmatic solution for digital advertisers, retailers, and brands. Previously, he was the CEO and president of Bitpipe, leading the company through its sale to Tech Target in 2004 in a $40 million transaction. Jay, are you ready to take us to the top? Absolutely. Okay, they say, it's, they, they say it's hard to motivate a rich man. How much money did you make on the $40 million transaction, and why do you stay motivated? <laughs> that is a totally fair question. Let's put it this way. I made enough that I didn't necessarily have to start the queue, that's for sure. Okay. Uh, but, uh, you know, when you're into building companies and trying new things, I mean, that's not something that you give up lightly. When I sold um, BitPipe, uh, I was still – Late 30s, early, yeah, late 30s, hadn't turned 40 yet. So what was I going to do? I mean, I had to, I just, the only thing I really knew how to do at that point was to start internet companies. And so that's what I did. Are I didn't you, think I'd be in this one for 10 years, but here are you, we are. Are you married, Jay? I am indeed. Yeah, so what really happened is your wife said, Jay, get the hell out of the house, go start another company. You're around too much, right? That's what happened. There may be some truth to that as well. <laughs> All right, tell us about Owner IQ. What's the company doing? How do you make money? So what Owner IQ is fundamentally about is part of this, what we call programmatic revolution and how digital advertising is uh, bought and sold. And one of the big innovations of the last few years, or I should say the last five years, is to decouple where the media, where the ad shows up from the data that's used to decide to put the ad there. And so that's created a very large ecosystem. And we're one part of that that allows advertisers to use data from retailers and product brands to decide to target their their advertisement on a on another website. So for example, a retailer can allow the brands to sell through them to use their data and a brand can allow the retailers that sell their product to use their data to to target and place advertising. So Jay, I just I want to make this I'm, I don't want to lose the audience here, so let me try and give an example here and say that back to you. If Ugg the boot sells through target.com Target has the ability to share that buyer data with UGG, and UGG can get smarter about lookalike audiences based off that Target website portal transaction of someone who bought an UGG boot. Yeah, that's exactly right, and it works the other way too, which is UGG can – a lot of people go to the, the manufacturer like UGG to learn about products and to look at features and things of that nature, and so UGG has that data about the audience that's 
interacting with their products, they can also share that with retailers for the exact same purpose. And what is this data? I mean, how is the data any deeper than like cookie level data? Well, I mean, first of all, in many cases, it is cookie data, but it's about what products and brands you've been looking at and what specific features of those products and brands that you've engaged with and studied. So that's what we would call browse or shopping behavior. In the case of retailers, it can be also what you purchase, which is transaction behavior as well. So it's all of these kinds of things. And then taking each individual element by itself may not be that predictive, but taken as a whole in terms of all the things that you're interacting with and buying and purchasing, it can be very predictive in terms of deciding who's going to be receptive to an offer and who isn't. And, and so what are you selling, a data set or a tool to analyze and collect the data? So what we're really about is a platform that allows brands to exchange data. Look, historically, the way data has been made available for advertising is you have companies like Oracle that aggregate it from large uh, data sets that is completely um, opaque to the end user. What we enable is, to your example, Target to specifically say I want UGG and UGG to say I want Target and broker that entire transaction. That's something that the industry has never seen before where you actually have that ability to have full transparency about where your data is coming from and therefore get data sets that you otherwise wouldn't get because the data owners wouldn't allow that data out. That's really interesting. Um, so you are essentially making a cut when you sell Walmart's data to Target and Target's data to Walmart. Yeah, the best way to think about us is like a LinkedIn or Facebook for data. That's the way to think You're about it. You're not a SaaS platform. It's not monthly recurring fees or anything like that. Well, it is a SaaS platform in that you come in and you have to be in the platform and you have to make your associations in the platform. Our revenue model is a little different than that. If you go back to LinkedIn, my LinkedIn example, it's like free to show up at LinkedIn and, and put your profile up there and start making connections. We're like that too because uh, we want to encourage brands to participate. But when brands start using the data, like they make a partnership to, you know, your example, um, like Graco makes a partnership with Toys R Us. When that happens, when Graco or Toys R Us start using that data, that's when we get paid. Okay. But it doesn't cost them anything to show up and use the software to make that association. And you're paid in a predictable recurring revenue manner once that starts, right? Well, it's paid based on the way they use the data, which could be kind of on a, a, a subscription basis. We're going to use it all the time, and there's a flat fee for that, and it's exactly like you just described. Or it can be we're going to use this to power our holiday promotional campaign, and we're not sure how much we're going to put against it. And then that's really tied to what we would call the campaign or program execution. What revenue stream of the past 12 months has been larger for you, the campaign kind of one-off buy or the – recurring, stackable, predictable SaaS revenue? Well, most of the advertising, you know, the, the, the many billions of dollars, hundreds of billions of dollars in, in, the, in advertising revenue is basically tied to campaigns and what we would call spot execution. So that's the largest and going to remain the largest. But the growth has been in, in brands saying, yeah, I do this year in and year out. And so I'm going to, at some level, subscribe to a usage of a, or a certain portion of it that I can use, you know, for, for all of my campaigns. But, you know, when it comes to advertising and media, campaign driven is the way of the world. Yep. Now, Jay, um, how many customers are you serving today? Uh, let's see, we have about a thousand brands that are on our platform right now today. And about at any given moment, about 600 of those are active in a given month sharing data back and forth. Okay. So in any given month, 600 are paying you something because they're doing some kind of deal. Yeah. That's the way I think about it. Absolutely. Interesting. Okay. And give me more of the backstory here. What year did you launch the company in? Uh, we started the company not, not long after I sold my previous one. So I think it was 2007. 
Okay. Is, is when I started. So it's been a while. We've been at this now for a while. And bootstrapped or have you raised? No, I'd love to say it was bootstrapped. And, and my advice to any entrepreneur that's out there, if you can bootstrap it, more power to you. Um, you know, it's hard these days to do big things that are bootstrapped. I mean, there's been a migration in the startup world where you can take a little bit of money to get a, to get started and get going. And that's actually can be done with high capital efficiency. But if you want to scale anything, um, it, it ends up requiring significant amounts of capital. And so, yes, we are a venture back. And, and how much total have you raised to date? We're about 40 million in, in terms of capital that we've raised so far. So, so let me ask you a question. A company like you, when you go out and do your last round of funding and you're trying to figure out a valuation, when you have things that are campaign-driven, it's harder to predict revenue. So I imagine your multiples aren't going to be as high as a pure play SaaS company. How do you think about valuation, especially as related to your last round? Well, as an entrepreneur, valuation, I think when I, what I think about valuation is it's never high enough. I mean, that's, that's, that goes without saying. Um, valuation is an art more than a science, and this notion that SaaS revenue – is the uh, it's all predictable and therefore it commands higher. That's actually not what I've seen in the markets. I mean, there are certain companies that have those have attributes, they're they're market favorites, and so they have those kinds of multiples. But you know, most businesses have to sell, have to make and sell every transaction, like a retailer, for example. Um, we're not that, but you're right. We're not like annual contracts and it's predictable year in and year out. So, you know, we're in the vast middle, which, by the way, is, is most of the economy. And so the valuation in a private valuation is based not just on the SaaS model or not SaaS model. It's based on all sorts of factors related to growth and related to you know, what we think the exit could look like um, and related to, you know, the perceived strategic value of this to acquirers and things of that nature. So it's very much an art, not a science. And take me back to 2000, 2007. What was your first year revenue? It's usually pretty embarrassing. Actually, our first year revenue, we were profitable our first year. And I don't recall exactly the number, but I believe it was around $400,000. That's pretty good. And, and it, well, it, it was, but the, you know, the, the, the story about it, as you point out, is that we found one customer that found religion and uh, was just sending us lots of dollars through their agency and the advertiser. And that was great for a while. Um, but, uh, you know, then Did 2000, you lose them? Uh, we lost them and regained them. But two, we went through the basically the uh, 2008 squeeze, which, uh, you know, kind of all bets were off through that, the financial. And, and scale up to today. So over the past 12 months in 2017, what was total revenue? So we're about a $70 million top line company right now. Okay. And when you say, when you say top line, I mean, are do your gross margins look like a SaaS company, 85% or do you, do you have to pay out like 50% immediately to some weird cost of goods sold? <laughs> well, it's not weird cost of goods sold, but we do have cost of goods sold. So our margins from that top line are about a gross are about 55, 60%. Okay. Um, when you look at it that way, so not the 80% gross, um, uh, gross margin, but, but pretty high. So set- it's pretty good. Yeah. So 70 top line, you're taking, you know, into the gross area, call it 50, 60%. So 35, 40 million there that then goes to everything else in the company. What are your above the line costs? My, just to be clear, above the line costs, you're referring to the cost of goods sold? Or yeah, saying- yeah, yeah. What are your cost of goods sold? So we have multiple ways of selling to customers. So one way is that you can just take this data and go use it in software systems to access media that you're bringing to the party. Another way is that you can access media directly through us, through our software platform. And when you do it through us, 
we take the principal risk, I was in principal risk, but we take the principal position on the media. So if you're running a $100,000 campaign, um, some portion of that through us, some portion of that is going to be advertising media that we then have to um, pay the uh, pay the media owners with that. Yep, that makes sense. Now, your last valuation, what was just that around and, and how long ago was that? So, <clears throat> excuse me, our last uh, capital in was, uh, it's been a while now. Um, I want to say it was the end of 2016. Okay. Things like that. Jay, you know what that means, right? No, I actually don't. What does that mean? Right now, you're either, you're either selling to somebody or you're raising more capital. Which one is it? Oh, <laughs> um, we are actually raising more capital. So, um, uh, very perceptive of you. Uh, we we actually don't have a round going today, but yes, I am in market for that. Absolutely. Yeah. And and so, what is the pitch like what, when you're when you're talking to new potential investors for the company? You know, data is obviously a hot space. Um, campaign driven is tough from in terms of predicting revenue, but you have serious scale. What's the pitch sound like? Pitch basically goes like this: All marketing is becoming data driven today. Um, with the, the 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 algorithms that you're using to power that marketing, you're only as good as the data that you put in. And today, you have limited sources of data to put into that. You have the data you're generating yourselves, and then aside from what we do, you have really opaque anonymous data that you can't make heads or tails out of. We're the only transparent data source in the market that allow you to judge relevant data and assess how well it is for the application you're putting it toward. And That's that, it. And that 2016 deal, what was that? A 20, 30 million dollar round size? No, oh, it was a, it was a very small round. It was an inside round. Oh, an inside round. Okay, but like, what percent of your total rate, like your total forty million in, was that? Oh, uh, uh, percentage off my head. I mean, I want to say it was less than ten percent. So okay. It was pretty- the, well, the re- the reason I'm asking is because like a lot of times, and you alluded to it earlier. Uh, CEOs and entrepreneurs especially will go after the highest valuation possible to minimize dilution. Makes logical sense until you start looking at some of the terms and, you know, thankfully if you can get away with a 1x liquidation preference, that's great. God forbid it's a 2x or 3x. You start wondering, my gosh, to grow into this valuation is going to take serious, serious work and you start wondering if when you sell, you'll actually see flow through to common shareholders. Do you ever worry about growing into your valuation? So um, I would like to tell you that growing into my valuation is a problem that I worry about. I would say with this company, that necessarily hasn't necessarily been my concern. But I think that your point is is, is well-founded. Um, but it's not necessarily what we call the features in the business, which is what you're referring to with participation um, and uh, liquidation preferences and those sorts of things, dividends uh, occasionally. It's not so much the features that usually get in the entrepreneur's way. It's usually the fact that things are not linear. So you start, the company grows, maybe at some point it has a setback and then you end up doing a down round. And that becomes a real problem in terms of uh, the cap table and uh, what ultimately is available for common, which is typically where entrepreneurs, uh, the, the kind of shares that entrepreneurs have. So yep. um, the, 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 the unicorns, as everybody call them, it's great to have a unicorn as long as it continues straight up. Um, yeah. if it, if it hits a, if it hits a pothole, it can be a real painful event. You're right, Jay. Let's wrap up here with the famous five. Number one, what's the last business book you read? You know what? I don't read very many business books. It's read, I read everything else. So I'll tell you the last book that I uh, just finished last night, which is the history of us, which is about using genetics to understand the evolution of humanity and the migration of humanity. Not oh, a business book. For fascinating. Some. Okay. Number two, is there a CEO in Boston you really enjoy getting breakfast, lunch, or dinner with? There are many, many people in Boston that I enjoy getting breakfast, lunch, or dinner with. I hadn't segmented them by CEOs. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> who's, your, just, who's, your, who's your favorite big thinker in Boston? 
big thinker in Boston, man, you're really, uh, you're really pushing me there in, 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 uh, in the Boston region. I get together with a bunch of our, uh, our investors, um, not necessarily the venture investors or their angels and, and people of that nature. And I find that those folks are always the ones, you know, challenging me a lot. But I will also say that, that, you know, in many cases, it's the folks that are not in business per se, or not in my business that I, I find the most interesting. Like, for example, I mentioned the book I was just finished reading a lot about what's happening in genetics and genomics in particular. I, I just find absolutely fascinating and really um, telling about where the world's heading. Oh yeah. And a lot of that's coming out of MIT, which is right down your, down the street. Okay. Number three, what's your favorite tool for building your business online tool? My favorite online tool for building my business. You know what? I'm going to give you a, 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 an answer that is not very sophisticated. It is extremely super simple screen sharing glance. It requires no downloads. It requires no um, advanced uh, instruction. It's just go to a URL and you got screen share. That turns out to be it's so stupid and simple, but you, you use it all the time. Number four, Jay, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? Well, I actually track every single hour that I spend on everything. And I can tell you exactly last night was six hours and 17 minutes. That's pretty good. Six hours. And uh, what's your situation? Married, single, you have kids? Well, as we talked about earlier, I am married with uh, two teenage daughters, one who just got her license and the other one who will be getting it in the next month. Uh Oh, and how old are you? Uh, I am now as of tomorrow or a Sunday, I'm 51. Oh, happy early birthday. Thank you. I look older because my daughters are learning to drive. No, no, no. All right. Last, last question. What do you wish your 20 year old self knew? Um, you know, honestly, my, well, I wish my 20, 20 year old self knew that I know now, um, something I try to tell my daughters is you don't need to be in a rush. I was in such a, such a rush to get out of school, get some business experience and start a company, which I'm gathering exactly what you did. Um, if I could do it all over again, you know what? I would have gone and be a ski bum for a year. I would have done that hostile backpacking across Europe that I didn't do and probably not won't do that now. Um, it didn't need to be such a rush. There you guys have it from Jay. It does not have to be a rush. He's having a lot of success after selling his first company, Bitbyte, for $40 million bucks. Then in 2007, launched Owner IQ. They're now serving about 600 brands that are sharing or borrowing or you know buying somebody else's data every month on his platform. They've worked with about 1,000 in total. But again, data is hot. They've raised about $40 million bucks, doing about $70 million top line gross uh, in terms of gross revenue, doing about half that. So healthy, healthy business growing up there in Boston. Jay, thank you for taking us to the top. Okay, thank you very much.